In the intricate world of human genetics, Dr. Typhon Özçelik stands as a beacon of innovation and discovery. His pioneering endeavors in mapping human genome to both human and mouse chromosomes have unveiled the profound complexities and mesmerizing patterns within our genetic code, offering invaluable insights into the traces of diseases embedded within specific human genes. Dr. Özçelik's astute understanding of the challenges associated with identifying genes linked to conditions like neurodegeneration and obesity underscores the multifaceted nature of genomics and the hurdles that lie in translating genetic data into tangible medical solutions. His recent groundbreaking studies, especially the intriguing connection between PRI1 gene, ADHD, and sleep phase disorders are a testament to his ability to unearth novel genetic links and their implications for human health. Beyond the sheer scientific prowess, Dr. Özçelik's dedication to the field is palpable in every endeavor, from meticulous research processes to the thought-provoking questions he raises about the future of genomics. As we delve deeper into this enlightening conversation, let us celebrate the brilliance and unwavering commitment of a researcher who is truly redefining the boundaries of genetic research and its potential impact on humanity. He's also a very good faculty president changing the education. Here is our conversation. Welcome to the Spectrum of Science. so much for coming and uh, my first question is you have been to Munich and then Yale and Harvard Hughes studying physiology then you returned to Turkey and brought what you have learned to Turkey what influenced your decision did you always knew you were going to going back to Turkey or something changed along the way uh Okay, uh, as a uh, student, high school student, let me give you a general uh, answer. Yeah. As a high school student, uh, I was uh, very much interested in actually life sciences. First, I thought that I would be uh, interested in uh, political sciences. Yeah. But uh, when we uh, learned about uh, biology in the last year, Uh, that was a fascinating subject for me. And uh, what to do for the next uh, stage of my uh, career, uh, I thought uh, medical school uh, would be a good uh, option uh, for me. Because at that time there was no uh, program in uh, molecular biology and uh, yeah, genetics. And uh, uh, while I was a, a student at uh, Istanbul Medical School, I uh, realized uh, that uh, there can be two different paths for me. Uh, one is to be the valedictorian of my uh, class. Yeah. Uh, and second, uh, to uh, be engaged in uh, research as early as possible. Yeah. And at that time, uh, I thought uh, there are uh, valedictorians every year. So, uh, if I would be able to write a p 
papers uh, as a student, that would be um, more valuable. Of course. That's what, how I thought. And I also realized that I should break the uh, ice between a student and a mentor. I mean, a teach the concept of a teacher and a student. You know, it's like they are on the two sides of a table, yeah. but we should be on the same side, like colleagues. Yeah, definitely. So, so, uh, and this means that, of course. Uh, uh, finding a mentor for yourself and this is not always uh, a, a logical you know well-planned uh, meticulously planned process you just as a student go and what your gut feeling tells you mm -hmm. so I identified a mentor for myself and okay. went to her uh, this is Nurang Gökhan uh, at yeah. Istanbul Medical School <laughs> and uh, she accepted me so, starting from the second year uh, in the medical school, mm -hmm. uh, I was engaged in uh, research. Yeah. Uh, and uh, luckily, uh, this resulted in a uh, publication uh, when I was a, a fourth year uh, student uh, in the uh, medical school. And uh, at the same time, I realized that uh, in order to be at the forefront of uh, science, uh, I should be uh, educated in the best possible places. Istanbul Medical School was an excellent place. Uh, I'm not uh, implying that the medical school was not good enough. <laughs> but to um, increase my uh, uh, interaction with the world, uh, I should say, I started writing to different medical schools uh, and uh, eventually during my clinical years, uh, meaning the, the pediatrics and uh, internal medicine and uh, surgery and OBGYN and other types of uh, rotations, mm -hmm. I went to uh, different universities in Europe, in yeah. Switzerland and in uh, UK uh, to be specific. Uh, and uh, finally to US and this was a unique experience uh, for me and uh, I, uh, what I want to do next step in my career also crystallized at that point mm -hmm. and I uh, was uh, pretty well convinced that I'm interested in uh, genetics more than uh, anything else uh, but the circumstances, I started with, uh, as you mentioned, uh, physiology at uh, Munich uh, University, uh, Ludwig Maximilian University, München. Mm -hmm. uh, afterwards, after doing my doktorarbeit uh, in uh, physiology, I switched back to uh, human genetics and went to Yale University. Uh, and uh, this was the medical scientist training program of Yale uh, University, where we had about 25% uh, clinical and 75% uh, uh, laboratory uh, involvement. Uh, after that uh, training at Yale, uh, I moved to uh, Stanford University, the Howard Hughes Medical Institute, mm -hmm. uh, where I spent a few more uh, years uh, studying human uh, genes and mapping them to human and mouse uh, chromosomes, which led to the uh, 
uh, identification of several disease-associated genes to be specific yeah. Prader-Willi syndrome and uh, Charcot-Marie Tooth disease neuropathy and uh, glycogen storage uh, disorder. And throughout this time, uh, I had my family ties uh, still very uh, strong uh, back at home. That's actually our And uh, though uh, we had the um, chance of uh, pursuing a career in the US uh, following these um, training uh, periods, I decided to uh, come back to Turkey. And I was very lucky because um, I uh, got a, a grant from the United Nations Development Fund and World Health Organization to start uh, a molecular genetics lab, uh, the, one of the first examples of uh, molecular labs in uh, Turkey. Yeah. And uh, this is how I uh, returned back to our country. I see, I see. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the crystallization of the research topics that you actually are going to do research on? How did that happen? How did you choose? How did it crystallize, really? Uh, uh, certainly. Uh, so, one of the... My mentor, uh, Nuran Gökhan, was a really uh, nice uh, lady. And uh, working with her on uh, physiology as a, a medical uh, student, I was exposed to Uh, cutting the concept of cutting-edge research. Yeah. Because research can be done in many different fields, but what is a really frontiers of research type investigation is uh, something uh, different. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, also, at the same time, During my uh, visits, especially to Oxford University in the UK, I was continuously uh, going to the uh, libraries uh, of the institutions and reading uh, uh, papers. And while uh, reading papers, I uh, discovered that there are actually two uh, very important uh, journals, now it's still, it's, they are very important, uh, namely Nature and Science. Yeah. And Nature and Science uh, journals don't only publish uh, original research work, but they have a lot of uh, opinion pieces and editorials, Uh, and news and views uh, type of yeah. uh, articles. And I started reading them. Actually, uh, I used to go uh, on Saturday mornings mm -hmm. to the library and until 3-4 o'clock uh, in the uh, afternoon uh, read these journals. Perfect. This gave me a, a, an uh, understanding of Uh, where science is headed towards. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, I also discovered that I'm not really interested in, say, uh, surgery, 
or other types of uh, clinical uh, disciplines where you take care of the uh, patients as your uh, focal uh, interest. Yeah. But that I would I'm rather uh, better Very in the lab in yeah. research in, in in research. I love to uh, investigate uh, things and um, try to understand uh, the nature of uh, things. Mm-hmm. And this is first uh, basic research. Uh, second, I saw that uh, you know this was the just before the uh, initiation of the human genome project. Yeah. Uh, but uh, cloning was a, a mainstay of um, genetics uh, research. Identification of disease-associated genes had begun in uh, major centers around the world. And uh, I thought uh, this is an excellent area for me. Uh, and this is uh, how I... Uh, how. Um, it crystallized uh, in my mind and to this day uh, I'm really uh, happy that I chose uh, human genetics as my field of study I can definitely tell Um, what made you fall in love with biology at the first place you said uh, in the last year of high school I started being interested but how did that happen really yeah definitely so um, Of course, uh, we had family friends, my parents, and uh, one of them was late uh, Altan Günalp uh, from Hacettepe Medical School, mm-hmm. and he introduced me to the uh, uh, concept of, uh, these are the early years of, uh, very early years of molecular biology, yeah. and I saw uh, Jim Watson's book, Uh, on uh, this subject. Jim Watson is the person who discovered the DNA molecule together yeah, with yeah. Uh, 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 Crick. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and uh, the uh, topics that we cover uh, in biology, specifically actually the genetic aspects of the biology classes, mm-hmm. uh, I just fell in love uh, with the subject. Yeah, I see. I see. And you also said and I know it from researching you a little bit, you started a medical school, but now that doesn't really have to be the case to study what you study. Uh, do you see the influences of the two types of coming uh, here to do the research that you do in the interns, in the yeah, I hear academics? This, uh, I hear this question a lot, yeah. and I think this is a, a legitimate uh, question. So, uh, if I I think here, uh, I mean, you're asking uh, whether to start with a molecular biology and genetics Mm -hmm. and then do research, or to start with a medical education and then do molecular biology and genetics. And, you know, they are both possible. Of course. So, uh, but uh, which one is better? So, here I think the most important thing is. whether you want to practice as a medical doctor. Do you okay. like to take care of individual patients, solve their medical problems, uh, and help them in improving the quality of their lives on an individual basis? If this is what you want to do, 
then certainly I would recommend a student uh, to go into the medical school. Okay. However, if your interest in interest is in asking questions and trying to find answers to them, then it is very important to learn scientific thinking, the scientific approach, mm -hmm. uh, creative thinking at the same yes, time. Of course. And in this respect, a uh, an uh, undergraduate education in uh, molecular biology and genetics in a basic science field actually and then uh, complementing it with a, a PhD on the subject uh, uh, would be I think a better approach. Okay, let's say there is a student in medical school who wants to do research in molecular biology what is the advice for them and what is the advice for molecular biology students other than doing a doctorate on a specific subject? You see, there are excellent scientists who come from the medical <coughs> schools. Yeah. We have uh, Nobel laureates uh, who had a uh, training in MD. Uh, MD training is also uh, uh, giving you a formation of uh, digesting uh, tons of uh, knowledge at the same time. Yes. But also, in medicine, the prime focus, the, the focus is uh, practicing your profession in the most uh, comprehensive and perfect way. This quest for perfection mm -hmm. may sometimes negatively affect critical and uh, creative thinking. Definitely creative thinking, yes. It's something else. Yeah. So long as a person realizes this <laughs> and breaks away from perfect um, conduct of the uh, business based on existing information this is the key part then uh, either way is uh, possible. Uh, in, uh, of course, in research, you have to be a perfectionist uh, still, uh, uh, a critic of your uh, own work, uh, which is something totally uh, uh, different. But uh, so uh, I think this is the main difference uh, between a medical education again and a molecular biology or, or a scientific education in general. So in medical school or even MBG, uh, sometimes students uh, lose their curiosity uh, due to some circumstances and other things. Did you have such a time or um, overall how did you protect that curiosity towards molecular biology and sciences? Yeah, this is also a very, uh, I think, uh, relevant critical question. Yeah. and. Uh, 
I think uh, after all these years, I come to the conclusion uh, that uh, you have to be an intrinsically positive person. Yes. yes. It comes from within. Mm-hmm. And there will always be difficulties. And therefore, uh, you should uh, not be discouraged. In fact, Alfred Nobel, in his biography, mm-hmm. says there are four, five critical factors for uh, uh, building up a culture of creativity, which is central to scientific process. Yeah. These are, number one, study-oriented home environment. Number two, good schooling. Yes. Number three, growing up in a cosmopolitan environment. Uh, this right. means that you are not in an isolated little village on the uh, <laughs> <laughs> far away yeah. on a far away place, but you live in a city yeah. and or. I mean, it doesn't mean that you're not going to become uh, creative if you are from a village. No, yes. no. But it helps if you are in a cosmopolitan environment. Yeah, I see what you mean. Exposure to frontiers of... You don't have to do research yourself, but you need to be exposed to frontiers of research, to have an understanding of that. That was nature and science for you, I guess. Yes, I think so. Yeah. And five, perseverance. Yes. So, and perseverance includes both uh, working diligently and very long hours. There is no such thing as things will happen by themselves. It takes, uh, you know, a lot of uh, commitment and hard work. I remember, still, not as much, but I remember working uh, at least uh, 80 to 90 hours per week. Uh, yeah. And still now uh, I uh, work from 8 a.m. till uh, 10 p.m. I mean, That's there is really something. Yes. Uh, and uh, weekends. Uh, Saturday included. Uh, So this is how... uh, Of course, lastly, when you have all of these come together, uh, if you don't have luck, still, (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't work. So the inspiration, perspiration ratio, you need to perspire mm-hmm. 99%, but if the 1% inspiration is not there, yeah. nothing happens. Of course. So, um, this, is, this question is more about genetics, about the discussion of genetics really, not about the research, but the question is how far do you think we can go with genetics? Um, how much prediction power does it give you about a person after all those years filled with genetics research? What can you tell about that? 
you know, uh, life sciences uh, has gained a lot of momentum mm-hmm. uh, during the past few decades. Uh, this is like also uh, physics. Uh, when you go back to the uh, beginning of the previous century, the advances, scientific advances, I mean, like uh, Einstein, Bohr, and others, <laughs> uh, who uh, understood the uh, basics of matter, relativity, and so on, led to the nuclear age, mm-hmm. the understanding of the three-dimensional structure of DNA at the uh, middle of the century, yes. leading to the human genome project and the associated projects, mm-hmm. transformed life sciences and medicine fundamentally. We are now living, we are in the uh, age of molecular engineering medicine. So, for the future predictions, that is a uh, difficult, uh, I think, uh, attempt. But uh, I can say uh, that the language of genomics will be at the center of medicine. It is already moving into the center of medicine and it will be even more so at the center of uh, medicine uh, in the uh, coming years. We now uh, witness this in the field of diagnostics, diagnosing different diseases based on DNA analysis. This will grow more and more. In addition, mm-hmm. having a knowledge about the molecular basis of a health condition in humans automatically leads to targeting at a molecular level different uh, pathways, which means there will be ever-increasing number of drugs to treat diseases based on the genetic information. Of course. So, uh, this I can uh, predict. <laughs> I know the, also the uh, really uh, contentious issues. Uh, so, uh, using of recombinant DNA technology mm-hmm. to alter the germline is a very uh, uh, debated and uh, actually there is also uh, a a universal consensus on this matter in all uh, arenas uh, like the scientific field or policy makers and everyone Uh, we should not uh, touch the germline I mean uh, designer babies as it is mm-hmm. uh, called uh, or uh, altering the germline of a person uh, independent um, forever uh, will change the genetic structure uh, of a living uh, species in this case humans yeah. so these are more uh, ethical uh, questions I think that the uh, society uh, needs to uh, discuss and be 
extremely careful in moving uh, forward. Yes, of course. Um, but the question, the second question was kind of more about, let's say you're, you have been given a gene, the whole genome of a person. Um, how much can you predict just by looking at that? You can predict some diseases that the person might experience, but what more? Okay, I got your question. So let me tell you, let me answer it as clearly as I can. Okay. Now, we inherit half of our genome mm -hmm. from our mothers and the other half from our fathers. Yes. When we have mutations in genes, as they come from our parents, mm -hmm. we have inherited disorders. Yes. All of the inherited disorders are genetic. But not all genetic disorders are inherited. No, oh, yes. This means we inherit a genome and on average any one of us, anyone in the population, go ahead and pick up one of your friends, mm -hmm. any, anyone, has a number of mutations. None of us are born uh, perfect. Yeah. But let's consider it is as close as possible to perfection. Mm -hmm. Still, once we become a zygote, than an entire individual, we are exposed to environmental factors. Yeah. Ionizing radiation, mm -hmm. uh, too much sunlight, yeah. smoking cigarettes, mm -hmm. unhealthy uh, eating habits, yeah. uh, not exercising, and all of these factors mm -hmm. take their toll on our DNA. Yes. So there are number one inherited mm -hmm. mutations that come from our parents and here we have the mutations that we accumulate in our bodies mm -hmm. during our lifetime. Yes. We can predict the first group. Mm -hmm the inherited mutations, what you inherit from your parents, that is now predicted. It is possible. It is a first-line diagnostic testing, meaning oh, yeah. just like you go to take your X-ray or uh, MR scan or blood count, you can also have your DNA sequenced and all your mutations can be documented. Yes. But still, you can be sick, you have a perfect uh, gene sequence for tumor suppressor genes, so mm -hmm. you have zero chance of uh, getting cancer. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, you smoke two packs of cigarettes every day <laughs> yeah. and lead an unhealthy li life, but 
and for 40 years, and at the end of these 40 years, although you began with perfect sets of genes, you mutate them during your lifetime, and therefore the individual gets cancer. That is, so these are two different things. Yeah, environment definitely affects. That's, that's a certain thing. But after we are just born, uh, our we might be able to tell just by looking at the DNA after environment, environmental stimuli comes what kind of a thing we will do, how we will react. Will we smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, for example, or uh, will, we, will we be too rushy and get into a car accident, maybe? Can we predict such things in the end, you think? I, of course, we can't do it now, but in the end? Uh, probabilistically, you can predict, but not based on DNA evidence. Hmm. Let me divide your question into two. You okay. said, can we predict a cancer? Can we predict a, an accident? In the case of an accident, hmm. if that person has attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Yeah, I know that paper of yours, yes. <laughs> this is an, actually a genetic disorder, it's an inherited disorder. And if, the, if, if an individual has ADHD, mm -hmm. then he, she is automatically prone to accidents. Yeah, definitely. So, <laughs> there is a sort of, not exactly, but a sort of determinism in the case of cancer of course uh, one cannot say for sure that uh, the person who is smoking two packs of cigarettes will eventually uh, develop cancer this is not 100% yes. uh, but uh, there is a very high probability it can be uh, 80% uh, or uh, even higher uh, than that what makes it probabilistic in your case? Um, because in the atomic scale, of course, there's some uncertainty, but when you look at the cell, it seems to be more um, higher scale, at least, to avoid the probabilistic stuff that atomic stuff has. So what, in your case, gets the probabilistic, I don't know, uncertainty or the probabilistic nature? of the cell, for example. Okay. Mutations are not... Uh, uh, mutations occur randomly. Yes. Therefore, since mutations occur randomly, they don't always hit mm -hmm. critical genes. They hit just... After all, let me tell you something. Only 1.5% of our genome corresponds to genes. 98%, more than 98% of our genome, it is still ATC, GGCT, AGCT, the same nucleotides, but it yes. doesn't correspond to a gene. And mutations do not specifically go after the genes. They, they, they just hit the DNA. Okay, yeah. So therefore, even if you have a genetic predisposition, mm -hmm. 
if you don't lose a critical set of genes by mutations, you don't get the disease. That's okay. the probabilistic uh, uncertainty. That leads me to another question. Um, that 98% you mentioned, uh, do you think all of them has some sort of functionality or is it just some of it is just inefficient engineering on DNA's part? Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, a lot of people think about this mm -hmm. and uh, once it was called as the junk DNA mm -hmm. you know junk is a type of trash <laughs> yeah. that you cannot throw away mm -hmm. uh, but later when the human genome project was conducted and the sequence became available to all, all of us mm -hmm. The basic notion in biology is, in DNA, if something is functionally important, that something is conserved throughout evolution. Yes. Meaning, if you take a human, if you take a cow, if you take a cat, a dog, uh, a, a bee, and any, any organism, uh -huh. That gene is present in all these uh, uh, creatures, the living uh, organisms. And they are conserved. Meaning, insulin, your insulin, my insulin, yes, but the cat also has insulin, the dog also has yeah. insulin. You can see insulin all the way back to yeast, wow. single cell organisms. Yes. And junk DNA appeared to be uh, not so well conserved. Mm -hmm. But then scientists identified portions of non-genic, not a gene, yeah. DNA, yeah. that are even more conserved than uh -huh. genes. So um, what does it mean? We don't understand it right now. But error correction is possibly universal, that means. Uh, yeah, I mean, they are conserved in throughout the species. Yeah. So this means that what we call as junk mm -hmm. certainly has a function yes. that we are only scratching the surface mm -hmm. uh, as we uh, speak today. So in this respect, actually, there are uh, long-acting regulatory elements, meaning uh, the genes. The genes need to make proteins. Yes. And these, the this business of making a protein mm -hmm. is controlled by different mechanisms in the genome. And these, now we are discovering that non-genic portions of the DNA contain sequences that govern on these uh, genes for their expression profiling. So, and some also say that, uh, you know, of course the genome has accumulated uh, a lot of uh, pseudogenes. These pseudogenes are, are relics of the past uh, evolution. Uh -huh. uh, so there's also that portion. Then, uh, of course, uh, it is probably more advantageous for the organism to increase the size of the genome mm -hmm. so that the 
target is hidden. You know, the really valuable parts are hidden in a big chunk of DNA. So when a mutation hits, it hits a non-consequential uh, portion of the genome. Yeah, so possibly there could be some non-important bits, but we don't actually know. Yeah, I see. Okay. Um, uh, imagine I imagine some sort of group studying um, studying molecular biology and genetics, and uh, they are undergraduate graduate now. What is the recommendation for them? other than taking all the lectures they can and seeing, doing internships everywhere and yeah, what else? Oh, okay. Um, so, in, uh, students uh, need to understand as early as possible that they need to build up their career. Oh, yes. And this is a step-by-step -step process. Usually there is no elevator that takes you. <laughs> yes. So you take the steps one by one. Mm -hmm. So in this regard, actually, uh, students should be aware that uh, they are learning to forget things. It is entirely natural yeah, yeah. to forget. But when you are learning, you learn how to think and how to pursue information, retrieve the information when you need it to get it back. Yes. So this is a critical, uh, I think, skill. Uh, skill. Yeah, yes, definitely. And it's not mentioned a lot. So thank you, yeah. This is one. The other thing is, of course, uh, uh, entrepreneurial spirit. Ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think uh, this is also extremely uh, important uh, to develop, of course, soft skills mm -hmm. at the same time yeah. is uh, critically uh, important. And a career building process is a hard ball game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There are so, a lot of numbers involved. Yes. So you should be always well trained and also on the field to play the game. Yeah. Never give up. Don't let others say how bad you are. I'll tell you a mathematical formula which is proven to be uh, always correct. This is. Mm -hmm. Whatever the number is, it can be one, it can be uh, ten, it can mm -hmm. be million, billion, zillion, whatever the number is. Yeah. If you multiply it with zero, the oh, net yeah. result is zero. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, Life attempts to multiply you with zero on many different occasions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How do you overcome those? Uh, 
there are different ways. There is no one formula. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, I think uh, it uh, starts with uh, inner strength. Yes. It has to be in you. Uh, and then, of course, uh, uh, hard work and uh, sometimes when the situation requires, you don't take any action. Mm -hmm. Pacifism is the best uh, <laughs> approach. Something, sometimes you need to be uh, active, active uh, yeah. about it. So, <clears throat> so it is, there is no... Uh, muhasebe, muhakeme kabiliyeti olarak. Mm -hmm. This is what we say in uh, <laughs> Turkish. Uh, you should have the uh, foresight to evaluate things actively mm -hmm. and take your actions accordingly yeah, for course. each person. And of course, it is always very good to have friends in life. Yeah. Uh, uh, they may not need, they may not need to be uh, many friends, but uh, good friends, good colleagues, and uh, of also uh, having an international uh, uh, view or uh, international dimension of yeah. your work uh, also helps a lot. Of course. So, uh, you are the dean of our um, molecular biology and genetics um, field of study. Uh, what can you tell about that? How is it, how is it like being a dean of, a, of an academic school and how difficult is it? How tiring is it? Let me tell you, it is a very gratifying uh, job. Uh, I'm uh, proud to be uh, uh, together with uh, such a good uh, collection of uh, uh, colleagues here and also uh, uh, students uh, who are, uh, you know, uh, our most valuable, uh, yeah. actually. Uh, and they really love you too. Uh, I, I mean, they are very ex excellent uh, students, so it is very gratifying. In this, in my personal case, uh, actually, uh, I'm still uh, involved uh, with uh, research. I have a research group, so yeah. I have graduate students, mm -hmm. and I try to write uh, papers and uh, so on. So, uh, so then, of course, we know that an uh, academic uh, versus administrative duties yes. are not always compatible with each other. Yes. Uh, I try to uh, balance this uh, by removing all the nonsense from my life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There are lots of those, yes. A lot of nonsense goes up. <laughs> so I always believe in, uh, I believe in individual creativity. Yes. At the same time, I believe in teamwork. These are compatible things. Mm -hmm. So as a dean, actually, My colleagues, my secretaries, uh -huh. are the <laughs> deans here. Yeah. They, they deal with all the daily uh, things. They always tell me, of course, I have to sign all the uh, papers and so on. Uh, but uh, uh, this is how it goes. So 
uh, one very important thing is uh, every morning as I wake up mm-hmm. and I come here, I come happy nice. and I come excited. I'll see my students, I'll see my uh, colleagues, and mm-hmm. so this also makes a big, big difference. Yeah, definitely being happy should help. Should help a lot. Um, what, what kind of, um, what kind of a future do you imagine for molecular biology and genetics field? And also, what kind of a work will you do as a dean uh, to make the life of students students easier and more prosperous? I guess more creative. Um, and what did you do before? that you can advise others? So, uh, I uh, this year, we conducted a, a comprehensive uh, study, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this uh, study, we systematically analyzed all of our graduates yes. over the last 33 years. Mm-hmm. So, we reached to 2,500, 2,489, I think, 2,500 graduates. That's perfect. And we got responses from 95% of them. So this That's is a, a good record. It's actually. a good ratio. It's, <laughs> yeah. a, it's a healthy <laughs> ratio. The reason the faculty of, you know, the name Bill Kent mm-hmm. comes from Bilim Kent, City for Science. So, (laughs) we give the uh, name to this universe. Science Mm -hmm. is the name of this university, and we are the Faculty of Science. So, in this respect, Mm -hmm. uh, actually, we have uh, two main missions. One is to uh, conduct excellent research, and the other is to Uh, educate the next generation of scientists. So two missions. Mm -hmm. And what we have seen is one, 92% of our graduates continue their careers. Employment ratio is 92%. Which is... That's a good good ratio. That's a very good ratio. (laughs) Yes. Even more importantly, 60% of our graduates are in academia. Yeah, that's even better to know. That's even, you know. And the 30%, they are in excellent places in terms of the Industry. private sector. Yeah. And 3% are in government, and 3% are in uh, education. So this is yeah, a really collective, yes. collective uh, effort of the whole faculty of science. Now, on top of that, we have incredible success stories. Our graduates are transforming science as we speak. (laughs) Yeah, I can tell. Yes. So, actually, you can see this in our webpage, all this information. And during the 33 years since the establishment of the Faculty of Science, Mm -hmm. Bill Kent, Faculty of Science, also produced 
groundbreaking uh, science. Yeah. We have these examples. That's true. So, I think uh, this is very uh, significant. And we can only hope to continue like this in the future. As for me, my research, uh, you know, I am in the uh, business of uh, identifying uh, genes that are associated with human uh, disorders. Yes. And we study uh, uh, movement disorders and extreme forms of obesity in our research. So, uh, right now, uh, we have established uh, the uh, largest DNA bank uh, of the Turkish population here. So, this is a tremendous... Uh, Uh, achievement is <laughs> this is a tremendous uh, resource oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so uh, we're planning to build up on this <laughs> and uh, uh, now also uh, uh, large-scale data genome information is in the uh, heart of everything mm -hmm. so uh, I hope to be able to do uh, able to identify more disease-associated genes in the uh, coming years. That was actually one of my questions. Do you, do you have any, uh, any disorders in mind that could, be, could turn out to be a gene genetic disorder rather than an environment or environmental one? Yeah, definitely. To actually uh, understand whether a disease is genetic or not, we look at the, what is called as heritability ratio. Mm -hmm. And this heritability ratio is very high for complex diseases as well. Complex diseases meaning very frequently observed disorders. Uh, yeah. And one of the main problems right now affecting humans is obesity. Yes, definitely. Uh, actually, World Health Organization now puts obesity ahead of smoking oh. as a risk factor. This is the number one risk factor That's right now. Interesting. Yeah. Then comes smoking. So, and we know that the heritability index of obesity is uh, very high. Yeah. People are genetically predisposed to this. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, I hope to be able to uncover uh, obesity genes in the uh, future. Yeah. Um, I have seen that in one of your papers you mentioned that there's a sleep phase disorder that results from sleep phase disorder. Sleep phase. Okay, um, this is okay. And it comes from this cry one. Yes. Uh, gene. And also, you associate the same gene with the, with the ADHD. Do, is there some sort of connection there, or uh, am, I, am I missing something? Okay, I think this was one of the most exciting projects that I did in my uh, career. And it is actually based on a novel approach to identify a disease-associated genes. Okay. In the classical approach, you choose a disease, mm -hmm. diabetes, schizophrenia, 
yeah, uh, hypertension, whatever the diseases. Then you go and find patients with that disease. Of course. And then you analyze the genomes of these patients mm -hmm. to find the disease gene. Yeah. This is the normal approach. This is done all over. This is the way to find the disease gene. Yeah. As we were studying obesity and making the uh, largest Turkish uh, cohort mm -hmm. of sequenced individuals, a DNA bank of these people, mm -hmm. one day it occurred to me that actually we can reverse this process. You know how reverse engineering is done? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. We can do reverse phenotyping, meaning... It's <laughs> a good idea, yeah. We have now a bank of DNA sequences. Mm -hmm. And we have also the knowledge of the genes from the Human Genome Project. Yeah. So, and we have a lot of biochemistry experiments around the world that tells us what genes are doing. So I thought in this respect, actually, the circadian rhythm, our biological clock, mm -hmm. is a very good target. Because I said, what kind of a disease would one expect if the biological clock is not functioning properly? Yeah, of course. Sleep. Sleep And I thought yeah. sleep should be the first <laughs> target. Yeah. Now, when you look into the population, I mean, more than 10% or 20% of the individuals have sleep disorders. <laughs> that's, that's true. And so it's not rare. Percentage, yes. Yeah. So then I said, now, instead of me going to the sleep clinics mm -hmm. and asking for patients who have sleep disorders, I will go to my existing DNA bank. Ah, yes. Because one-fifth should be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and look for mutations mm -hmm. in circadian rhythm. Yeah. And you did. And we looked and we, sure enough, huh? we had some people who had those uh, crooked-looking uh, <laughs> genes. <laughs> yes. Mutations, as, you, <laughs> as I should say. <laughs> and then next thing I said, now let's, I mean, I, this person came to me for another reason. Mm -hmm. And we never asked him when he came, do you sleep well or not? <laughs> yeah. So then I took the telephone mm -hmm. and I said, hello, my dear, do you have sleep problems? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the fun part. <laughs> And I was almost dropping. I was sitting on this chair. Mm -hmm. The first lady I called told me, Oh, of course. Mm -hmm. I am a nurse and I always uh, take uh, night shifts because I uh, can't sleep at night. Yeah. And 
uh, I was, you know, I couldn't believe that I, I hit it. You you hit it, but it also shaped the life of the, of the person, yes. which is the interesting part. Yes, it shaped, of course, it shaped the life of the person, of course. As yeah. then I called the second individual, and that one also. To, oh, <laughs> I, I sleep at four uh, a.m. in the morning, and I can't get up until uh, noon. Wow! And uh, then this was the beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. So this is reverse phenotyping. Yeah. This is an entirely new approach for uh, identifying a disease gene. So I wrote this uh, as a hypothesis, uh, first in nature uh, genetics. This is a, mm -hmm. one of our uh, important uh, journals, uh, and they accepted it. Mm -hmm. And then immediately afterwards, we've uh, shown that uh, it is uh, indeed applicable and sleep phenotype. Sleep yeah. is a very complex human behavior, and complex human behaviors and identifying genes associated with human behavior is really actually really difficult. Yes, and we using genetic approaches, we found the molecular basis of sleep disorders and actually cell again our uh, top uh, journal chose it as the. Uh, one of the most significant, one of the ten most significant scientific developments in 2010-17, and the story didn't end here. That's what I would expect. Yes. As we now, the way I work mm -hmm. is, we don't wait for the patients to come to us. Yeah. We go to the patients. Yeah, you entirely have a different approach about that. And we visit these families mm -hmm. in their home environments. So I travel with my uh, students and my uh, colleagues mm -hmm. to all over Turkey. We travel. Uh, and when we visited these families in their homes, mm -hmm. I noticed that they have a psychiatric problem also. Yeah. You know, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I mean, I have my ideas about their psychiatric condition, but it is not a You're professional not approach. Yes. I'm not an expert on yeah, this. Yeah. So I went to uh, my colleagues at Ankara Medical School, two mm -hmm. psychiatry professors, and I went to two of them because I want to, to them to get their, feedback. Uh, get their feedback independently. I uh, mean, yeah. <laughs> there is individual in psychiatry, everything is very complicated. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, an easy uh, hypertension is, or obesity is people are obese, <laughs> or uh, hypertension is you just get the blood pressure and you see the hypertension. But yeah. psychiatric disorders, disorders are, are yeah. very complex. That's why two different psychiatrists and do, do they come up to the same conclusion mm -hmm. blindly. So the psychiatrists of course didn't tell me go away. They said <laughs> <laughs> because they are very busy people, you know. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine but if Typhoon Australia comes to your door you wouldn't say <laughs> so, no, yes, but they were convinced. Yeah. And they traveled with me again to all these different uh, places, Urfa, Kayseri, Konya, mm -hmm. uh, Fethiye, you know, these families. Where, and 
they both said these people have ADHD. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, of course, we got the DSM-5. DSM-5 is the mm -hmm. uh, Psychiatric manual Association's yeah. uh, international manual for uh, diagnosing psychiatric disorders. This time, they began their formal analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, then, uh, for sure, uh, they... And it is already known that in... Many psychiatric diseases, including ADHD, sleep is disturbed. Oh, yeah. This is a clinical observation. Mm -hmm. Of course, we didn't stop here. I went to my colleagues in Italy mm -hmm. uh, and I said, uh, look, you also have a DNA bank like I have. Yeah. And uh, uh, can you find out the uh, cryptochrome one? mutants in the Italian population. Mm -hmm. And my friend said, oh sure, and then she just <laughs> opened her computer so easily. And she just, what was the mutation? And I told her, she typed and she said, oh, we have someone, Giuseppe, living in London and we have in the town of, in Italy somewhere, another one, and mm -hmm. another one, another one, another <laughs> one. And I said, wonderful. Now find me an Italian psychiatrist. Okay. And she found an Italian psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And then we contacted the families. Yeah. And these, we didn't tell the psychiatrist what kind of a genetic uh, a psychiatric disorder this would be. Mm -hmm. But these psychiatrists also came with the same result. Awesome. Yes. Science so... <laughs> so when I saw that in two different populations this is confirmed, then we can start thinking about publishing this. Mm -hmm. And uh, but as a last resort, I went to my colleagues in uh, New York in, at Mount Sinai Hospital, and they have access to the BioMe data bank. BioMe data bank is the largest U.S. population-based yeah. data bank. Okay. And uh, and this is a DNA bank that contains both the phenotype and the genotype, the gene sequence and the medical conditions of people. Ah, yeah. And this is a very controlled database, of course. It is not open to uh, people, so only authorized people can look into this database. And we conducted what is called a phenome-wide analysis study, FIVAS study, mm -hmm. which is another independent uh, genetic-based uh, study. And there again, uh, we found that they have uh, an increased number of psychiatric disorders in the database. Mm -hmm. So we published. And this year, actually one month ago, uh, the Chinese uh, investigators now published the animal model of our mutation. Oh. This means they introduced the disease, the, the mutation in the cryptochrome 1 gene, mm -hmm. exact mutation, they put it into mouse. Okay. And the mouse have ADHD. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was over, over the moon, the moon. Yeah. Uh, when I saw this paper. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I can imagine a future where Actually, doctors called in with individuals like you. You did, saying you apparently have this disorder. Let's let's treat you. Come and let's treat you. Could this be the um, 
doctor uh, concept in the future? Look, let me tell you this. Let's say uh, an individual mm-hmm. goes for MRI scan. Yeah. And the scan is done. Mm-hmm. The purpose of the scan is uh, for uh, intestinal hernia. Okay. Let's say. But when the doctor looks at the scan, he she sees a tumor in the uh, liver. Yeah. We call this incidental finding. Oh. Now, the purpose of your scan is hernia. Mm-hmm. But you see a tumor. Yeah. Will you say, oh, I did the scan for hernia, uh-huh. I didn't do it for tumor, so I will not tell the patient. <laughs> yeah, of course not. I mean, <laughs> this is an ethical problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of, of course. The thing is, uh-huh. when you sequence the DNA of an individual mm-hmm. for a given disorder, you actually have the information of the entire genome. Yeah. Yeah, so you identify a lot of things. That result is right in front of you. How can you ignore this? The, the question then becomes, would you advise people to get their DNA sequence so that they can know about their um, future diseases? diseases? This is an entirely uh, individual uh, decision. Yeah, of course. So, of course, you need to tell the patient. You can ask the patient, uh, when we sequence your DNA for disease A, Mm -hmm. we will get information about all the other diseases. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to learn about them or you don't want to learn about them? Mm -hmm. And if that person says, I don't want to learn about them, then you don't tell. How common is that response? I wouldn't think it would be super common, but... Uh, people, the overwhelming majority of the people want to know. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would predict. But did you, did you have any difficulty where people didn't want to give their DNA sequences for the research, even though... Um, even though it's reasonable to actually do. In my experience, I mean, I have now seen uh, thousands of patients. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you approach them uh, and you build a a trust with that person, Mm -hmm. uh, they are accepting the uh, genetic test. If someone, uh, like a provocative agent, provokes that person, mm-hmm. then they become afraid. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, we have uh, uh, also uh, vaccine deniers. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, when they politicize a scientific issue... Mm-hmm. That's what happens. That's what... If the scientific issue remains as scientific issue, then no problem. I see. Um, so, what are the big the questions you have in mind about human genome sequencing, except maybe you mentioned um, 98% of the genome. 
accept that what are the big questions that you have in mind to maybe tackle in the future or uh, suggest others to tackle? Of course, uh, an area, I mean, first of all, these are very um, difficult questions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, predicting for the future uh, <laughs> is inherently a futile attempt. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> But you can be creative about that, so it's also fun. Uh, of course, um, uh, lifespan. Longevity, understanding the uh, molecular basis of longevity is a very uh, important uh, yeah. scientific question. Also, understanding uh, psychiatric dis psychiatric disorders, how yeah. the mind works. Yeah, that's that's the biggest. Is one. a super <laughs> difficult challenge. Yeah. I think I can put these two uh, immediately. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, do you are you gonna tackle? Do you at least have in mind a specific disorder in psychiatry that you think is gonna be in the genome? Ex oh, it is already except the known ones. Uh, it's already uh, so. In this respect, actually, you asked me the distinction between uh, psychiatric disorders versus personality traits. Ah, yes. These are two different uh, yeah, things. I, yeah, actually, and that's what you asked me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in 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 psychiatric disorders, right now, the difficulty is classifying the psychiatric disorders based on clinical parameters. Mm -hmm. Meaning, one doctor says bipolar disorder, yes. the other doctor says depression. Identifying them is hard enough. It right is. Now. Yes. And this is, it is, I don't say that the, one of the doctors doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. The yeah, diseases yeah. themselves are episodic. One day they are fine, the other day they are not <laughs> yeah. fine, and they come with different symptoms. <laughs> Therefore, we have a lot of diagnostic uncertainty in psychiatric disorders. Yeah. I think to solve this, eventually, will depend on analyzing the genes. Yeah, of course. It will help a lot. Personality traits, this is even more uh, difficult uh, because they are subtle. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are now uh, studies that are conducted actually uh, on uh, one million people, for example. Mm -hmm. Right now, actually, let me tell you this, uh, England and um, uh, United States started two very significant projects. Okay. In Britain, it is Genomics England. Mm -hmm. In US, it's all of us, it's called. Okay. And this is to sequence all newborn babies ah. right. and build up a database mm -hmm. and get their genetic and phenotype disease information, health information together 
so that we can inter interpret the most difficult, I, I mean, we can question and interpret the most complex uh, health issue problems. Yes. yes. I think this will, yes. this will it's be... It's going to be great. It's going to be, yes, <laughs> revolutionary. Yeah. Um, a specific question for you would be, um, you, you focused on the on the diseases and disorders more than the for example prosperous parts of the of humans maybe intelligence or creativity um, those features are also rare like diseases but uh, you can actually find genetic correlates maybe why did you specifically focus on disorders rather than the um, the others you know I tried hmm. Uh, in 2012, now 11 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, when genome sequencing uh, became uh, uh, possible, uh, yeah, technologically. Uh, technologically, of course, uh, I was in Washington DC and mm -hmm. discussing with Mary Claire King, uh, who discovered the breast cancer gene. Oh. She's a very good friend of uh, Bill Kent University and she has uh, excellent uh, uh, co-workers who are uh, Turkish people from uh, Bill Kent. Oh. Uh, and uh, we thought, uh, she told me, Typhoon, what are you going to do next? And I said, Mary Claire, what are you going to do next? And we said, why don't why, we are always after the negative? Why don't <laughs> yes. we go after the positive? <laughs> Now, intellect is very difficult to touch. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, If you touch it, you are going to change everything. It's a very uh, <laughs> difficult issue. Yeah. But sure enough, we found another innocent, I mean, not so uh, polarizing yeah. <laughs> yes. subject. This is perfect pitch. Yeah. The perfect pitch mm -hmm. is, you know, having the uh, You get ear, the sound and you identify the you notes. You ident identify the notes. Mm -hmm. And actually there is uh, from zero to 12. Mm -hmm. And the people who are one, two, three, four are tone deaf. You know, they mm -hmm. go to a concert they listen but they don't actually <laughs> hear the melody anything yeah but they are toned and then there is the most of us are in the middle mm -hmm. and then there are some people who are nine ten yeah and then eleven and twelve there is a very little proportion of the population that is pitch perfect yes So, I went to the music faculty mm -hmm. and I said, you have so many talented young people, I'm sure uh, you have uh, some people with perfect pitch. Actually, uh, there are tests to quantify perfect pitch, which is very helpful. Yeah, of course. And, And uh, I said, uh, let's identify these people and analyze their genomes and uh, find out uh, what the genes are. What the genes are, yes. Mm -hmm. And they were also very interested uh, at first. At But, first. At first. <laughs> But uh, later on, uh, 
it became uh, very difficult. I mean, we just couldn't reach to the people. They don't have a problem, medical problem, so mm. there is no incentive uh, yeah. to uh, do that. And uh, families, and also, funding is very important. Yes, of course. You know, I'm telling you, but the OB research that we are conducting right now mm -hmm. uh, is uh, supported with, uh, right, this phase is supported with uh, seven million dollars. I see. The previous phase of building up the Turkish uh, very own database mm -hmm. cost about ten million dollars. Wow. Yeah, this is a <laughs> and uh, finding support is also very difficult. And yeah. obesity is such a big health problem that there it are gets there are yeah it gets yeah. funding. So yeah, I see. Yes, but nobody really cares uh, about the <laughs> about the positives. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I see. I see. Maybe in the future it's going to become possible as the as the yes. Funding is not really yes, needed. Yes, wildly available. We will see. Maybe in the future. I think so. I mean, definitely. Yeah. You know, we you know we we now hear SMA stories. You you also hear from these babies with spinal muscular atrophy. Oh yeah. SMA, 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 mm -hmm. and it costs so much money to treat these babies. Yes, such a big problem. It is. From an economical point of view, the numbers mm -hmm. don't allow us to treat all these children. I mean, our entire economy, mm -hmm. <laughs> all the health-related, if you give it to... The only possibility is to diagnose these carriers in the first yeah. place, yeah. which now our countries are moving in that direction. Actually, this will become the mainstream approach. Mm. And eventually, although not yet, mm. but eventually in our country it will be like Genomics England or the All of Us projects, uh -huh. where uh, the entire populations will be sequenced. Okay, yes. And if we have good enough databases in our country, if we can build them, mm -hmm. then mining that data for discovery of novel phenotypes, including positive phenotypes, mm -hmm. uh, should be possible. Okay, hopefully, hopefully. Um, you have also found some susceptibility increasing genes for COVID-19. Oh, yes. Um, that's also very, very important. Uh, can we, in the future again, correct our a genetic code at least to get immune to all possible viruses even before they come like COVID-19 should we produce every possible vaccines for that purpose okay the way you ask the question has deep implications <laughs> what I mean is in the first part you said can we, through DNA sequencing, identify individuals who are predisposed to uh, infectious diseases like COVID-19? Mm -hmm. And can we change the genetic makeup of such people so that they are not uh, uh, susceptible to that disorder? Mm -hmm. 
Yes. I, yes. Your, what you said, maybe you didn't use, you didn't say explicitly, <laughs> clearly yeah. as I put it. Yeah. But your wording implied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I'll tell you the general problem right now that we are facing as humanity. Uh, when you try to do good, you may sometimes do bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's sometimes a problem. Kaş yaparken göz çıkar. What happened is AIDS. Some people never get AIDS. Mm-hmm. Although they are exposed to AIDS, they never get it. Yeah. Because they are lacking a specific receptor mm-hmm. that is on the surface of the uh, immune system cells okay. that the virus binds. Interesting. Right. So, it's like a Teflon coating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those cells, the virus comes and falls off. Can't enter the cell. Yeah. So, these people are immune to AIDS, uh, HIV. Mm-hmm. So, they said... Why don't we change the genetic makeup of the people so that they become resistant to AIDS? Mm-hmm. This is, of course, the number one issue, ethical issue. Yes. Can you change the germline? Mm-hmm. And it is no, no, everybody. But still, someone did it. Ah, uh, right. <laughs> Who? A Chinese scientist. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then later on, it became clear that people who lack this receptor and therefore are resistant to AIDS have a short life span. They die early. Oh no. It affects Uh, longevity. I see. Multipurpose genes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, your current information And you try to do something with it, but you mess yeah. up with an entirely different thing. Yeah. Evolution did not occur overnight. Oh, yes. It is yes. generations and generations and generations that we are... Definitely. In. So, therefore, our knowledge at this time mm-hmm. is not so strong to be interventionalist. I see. I see. But it's uh, it's still a question. And the second question I asked, uh, should we produce, produce every possible vaccines, meaning we might be able to identify what kind of viruses can infect us, meaning we can produce the vaccines for such viruses even before they come out? Of course. Basically. The American government said uh, we are opening a new grant program mm-hmm. And we will give 30 million dollars to researchers uh, to identify models for emerging pathogens. I see. The diseases that have not occurred yet, Mm -hmm. but can you find, uh, can you start thinking about this and make possible scenarios Mm -hmm. and start working at the molecular level how to overcome those uh, pathogens. Yeah, I see. And uh, there are such funding programs right now in the world. 
uh, I was trying to get your opinion because um, it's also tricky to uh, say that there is this possible virus that everybody knows that possible virus which means they can produce that virus now even though you are vaccine vaccinizing people that could be a problem again that's why I was trying to ask the ethical implications and your idea about the you know I mean you are you asking me I think if I understand it correctly you're asking me about uh, bio terrorism kinda kinda using for example viruses to create uh, pathogens mm. that affect uh, humans uh, and what I'm kind of uh, implying is from the research of the USA there could be bioterrorism um, becoming more prevalent because people are researching but the mm, the knowledge they are getting should be kept very um, intact I mean you know Einstein famously said uh, I'm not sure whether the universe is indefinite mm -hmm. but I'm sure <laughs> human stupidity is indefinite yes. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I think this is the this yeah. is the answer and for sure mm -hmm. it is possible to weaponize I mean Uh, let's not be uh, 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 playing Pollyanna. It, it yeah, is, uh, it is uh, possible. Uh, the thing is, this type of thing cannot be population specific. You cannot say I will wipe out the Africans from this uh, uh, yeah. world, or I will yeah, wipe not. out the Turks from this world, or I will of wipe out not. the Germans from this, whatever. <laughs> whatever. This is not Because as a human species, our evolutionary background mm -hmm. is not so long. So it doesn't matter if you are a Chinese mm -hmm. or an Argentinian or an African. Yeah. The genetic distance is not too much. That's true. So... We evolved only during the 150,000 years or so. We don't yeah. have a big uh, past behind us. Mm -hmm. We are not isolated anymore. Uh, so therefore, whatever the uh, malicious thing that you will uh, generate, mm -hmm. everyone will be affected. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, this is more about... The, you, you actually mentioned this throughout, but there is this... Um, question of how do you get from a specific idea a creative one maybe to publishing an entire article what is the most difficult thing for you in the process and how do you overcome the challenges of course the scientific process is a tedious one mm -hmm. and in uh, conducting science you don't you don't fall into love with your idea yes whenever you have an idea a hypothesis mm -hmm. and you get experimental data that supports it you try to kill it yes this is the process if it doesn't die mm -hmm. despite your attempts from every possible direction uh -huh then it is 
presentable to the scientific society. Yeah. So therefore, you should be the best critic of your own. Mm-hmm. Here, of course, teamwork is also extremely yeah. important and that your team and yourself, you should trust each other. Mm-hmm. And also work under ethical conditions. You don't falsify, you don't produce data uh, based on uh, 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 falsified data and uh, so so on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then, uh, and in most of the instances, what I have observed is, uh, let's say, first of all, this basic notion. You cannot ask Columbus to discover America. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because if you say discover America for me, it means you've been there before or you, you know about that place before and you can say yes. visit America for me, not discover. <laughs> In science, you make a prediction, mm-hmm. you set out experiments to see your hypothesis but usually the real breakthroughs come from unexpected directions of course i mean to give you the in my career for example uh, what is the significant discovery that we made was the discovery of prader willi syndrome gene in 1992 this was mm-hmm. My project was to discover the Rett syndrome gene. Yeah. But I never discovered the Rett syndrome gene, and I discovered what no one else discovered before, the Prader-Willi syndrome gene. During the process, in obesity research, uh-huh. we started <laughs> to look for the obesity genes, uh-huh. but during the process, Suddenly, it occurred to me that we can do actually reverse phenotyping, mm-hmm. which led me to the sleep gene. So what I'm trying to say is, uh, in a football match, you don't say that uh, the uh, uh, player is going to get the ball at m- minute three and throw it with so many degrees angle to his friend, to his teammate, and then he will, at the three minutes, 53 seconds, <laughs> kick it, yes. and then it will be a, a score. Uh-huh. No. Yeah, you are on the field, you are trained, mm-hmm. your condition is enough to run for 90 minutes, uh, <laughs> and uh, then... You discover along the way. So yeah. this is also sciences in many instances uh, during this uh, process breakthroughs come. Projects can be conducted mm-hmm. in a predictable manner. This is not what I'm talking. I'm talking about groundbreaking scientific discovery mm-hmm. revelations that no one else uh, noticed well. before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for answering and thank you so much for coming. Uh, we are running out of time, so uh, you have been living such a creative and such a such an incredible life. 
thank you so much for coming again uh, and it was very nice to meet you. Uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, I also thank you very much.